There is a story told to strike fear in the hearts of children, campers, and adults alike of an immortal and crazed maniac who lives his life with the sole purpose of exacting violent revenge. He is a warning against the dangers of the wild unknown, of breaking the rules and being careless. He lives in the woods, though you will never see him unless it's too late. At night, you may hear his maniacal laughter and disturbing cries coming from the forest. He wants revenge, and his name is Cropsy. Creep It Real is a weekly podcast where we present our theories of the subjects we cover based on our interest and research. Some material may be graphic and disturbing, so proceed with caution. Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining me this week. I am on my own. Shy is on spring break, so it is going to be just me. You got Ashley, and that's it. It'll be great. This week is also a little different because we're going, because we're, so since I'm alone this week, I am going to be talking to myself a lot, like I have somebody here with me, and y'all just going to get a really good insight into the way I, I live, talking to myself a lot. So this week is also a little different because we are going to see we, I'm just going to keep saying we, so we are going to be talking about Cropsy, an urban legend, which we have not really gotten an urban legend episode in yet. So here we go. First one. I picked one that I really didn't really know much about, honestly. So I came into this fully unaware, but it's interesting. There's a million different stories that you can find that all have kind of ver- a little bit varying details, but they all have the general theme of... Cropsy coming for revenge and scaring some kids, which I think we can all get behind. So, right? Am I alone on that one? So here's the first one that it kind of is the earliest I've found from the 1950s, which is supposedly when the Cropsy tale began to emerge. Let's dive into it. It's from Alpine, New Jersey. The Cropsy family were gentlemen farmers on a large tract of land. The father, living with his two sons, after his wife passed away, giving birth to the second child. Sometime after the mother died, the father also died. The elder son wanted the the total inheritance, basically meaning he wanted to run the farm himself. He imprisoned his younger brother in the basement, chained him up, and barely fed him. The younger brother drifted into insanity. He went unwashed, existed off slop his brother gave him once a day at night. His hair grew long and matted. His nails also grew long. One night... Enraged, when the older brother came to feed him, the younger brother pounced. He killed and dismembered his brother and freed himself from chains. His leg had become malformed from the manacle which was on his leg for so long, and he took an axe that he had used for dismembering his brother and fled the farm into the night. While roaming the woods, he came across a Boy Scout camp. Soon after, Boy Scouts began disappearing, one by one. Cropsy was taking the Boy Scouts back to his farm to dismember and devour. You could hear Cropsy at night, walking around the camp, dragging his injured leg. The way the stories all start out is this tragic event that happens to Cropsy, which kind of makes you feel bad for him a little bit. But that, that is until he, he is driven to madness and begins to take revenge. 
Here is another one I found that was from the 1960s in New York. It is a little bit shorter. George Cropsey was a well-respected member of the community and a civil-minded lawyer. But one night, Boy Scouts set a fire that raged out of control to the point it reached Cropsey's family's home and killed his wife and children. Cropsey's face was horribly burned when he tried to save his family. When he was unable, he disappeared into the woods carrying an axe. He later reemerged to stalk Boy Scouts in that area, taking them into the woods and chopping them to bits. There, he would leave his name drawn in blood on their skin. Uh, I don't want to be chopped into bits. That's the stories that they were telling kids. I'm sure they still do, you know. So those are the stories that you're getting told as a camper to make you stay in line and um, don't be a little jerk and light fires that get out of control because you're going to end up burning someone's family, dude. So the Cropsey Maniac was the story that was used at schools and summer camps to kind of reinforce the behavior that they wanted from the students or the campers from the get-go. It, like, I, like I said earlier, it's local to New York, New Jersey, Massachusetts, Pennsylvania, New England, New York area. And that is because the, oftentimes these children were actually sent to summer camp for weeks on end in the summer because they are living in the city for the rest of the year where they really don't have a lot of outdoor exposure. And this was their way to be exposed to nature and outdoors and experience things that they're not able to do typically. So these kids are coming from, you know, city living and being kind of thrust into what is probably for most of them an amazing uh, experience. I mean, it would be for me, you know, but still it's always going to be a little intimidating, especially if you never do it. And there's all these aspects that you have no idea about. And so to keep these kids first to kind of instill a little bit of healthy fear into them, set some ground rules, uh, emphasize some things that are dangerous that you need to be taking caution when you're taking part of like fire or gun ranges and things like that. So another aspect of telling this Cropsey tale to the campers was to kind of establish solidarity amongst the group. They're all coming from different places, probably. Probably a lot of them don't know each other yet. You're all coming together to build this temporary community, and this story was just kind of helping to build that solidarity and also give them kind of a common enemy that they can think of as an outsider who they can all kind of rally against, which would be obviously Cropsey. I don't necessarily love the idea of feeling like you have to rally against an outsider, but I know that is a way to unite. It's just not always for a necessarily great cause, though. But here in this story, I think we can all safely say that uh, rallying against Cropsey we're okay with. So maybe not after his tragic dive into madness, but before, you know. So this legend was heard by all of these children in a critical time of their childhood development and kind of when they're forming their ideas about life and their perspective on life. So it actually has played a huge part of forming those perspectives and opinions and so many people from this these areas. It's actually really interesting to think about. Or they grew up hearing this folklore of of Cropsey and and the reasons why his victims became his victims and they just really ended up shaping how they think about the world, which is just really kind of incredible when you think about it. When we're talking about folklore, that's just pretty cool how much you can see how that plays a part in in everyday life even though you may not think about it and like I mentioned earlier there are 
a million variations of this story. So many. And they all really depend on where you're being told this story. So it's very localized to the place where you are. If you're in Boy Scout camp in uh, Crystal Lake in New York, then this is where Cropsey is. If you're living by the Willowbrook State Mental Institution, that's where Cropsey is, living in the tunnels under under the mental institution. A lot of the time he's in the living in in the woods. So whatever camp you're at, he's in the woods there. So the basic premise of every Cropsey tale really uh, begins with Cropsey being this well-respected member of society. He endures this tragic loss of wife, children. He then becomes insane and vanishes from wherever he had been living before and then returns weeks later vowing revenge on whoever it is he believes has caused him this great loss. Then he is unable to be caught. The authorities attempt to catch him. Everybody attempts to catch him and are unable. And he is either mortally wounded and manages to live or he dies and continues to haunt the location where the story is being told. As campers, you are then kind of told that he is he is lurking out in the wilderness or wherever you are in in the tunnels of the mental institution or in uh the old barn by the road where you shouldn't go by yourself or at all and there's always the possibility that Cropsy is there to come and get you so it's really used as a way to kind of rein them in like I said so yeah so the Cropsy story obviously as you can probably infer from the details is really used to instill fear in the children who it's being told to um, it was generally being told to children though it was also some variations were told at a junior college and also a college so it really ranged Like I was saying, there are some different variations and they teach different lessons and obviously depending on where you were being told, if you're going to like a technical college, it really probably doesn't make a lot of sense to say that uh, Cropsey's family died in a huge fire because of irresponsibility. You know, probably would make more sense to say there was a mechanical accident or he got, his family got hit by a car or something. So in the fire story where his family dies because of fire, obviously that kind of shows the campers there's real danger in and being irresponsible with fire. Here they are. They may not have a lot of exposure to an open fire like that. And, you know, don't don't burn yourself or don't burn the woods down, dude, because you might end up making cropsy. And a lot of the stories really kind of emphasize the dangers of being alone. So they really want, you know, to instill the, the thought of campers sticking together and not separating to stick in their heads, which I definitely understand that one. We saw last week how, not that it was their fault, but the, how the Dyatlov group, how, how separate ended up really being a damaging aspect of their situation. And the police's failure to catch Cropsey, because in, a, in almost all the variations of the story, the police are unable to really help. In most variations of the story, while the police are unable to really do anything effective to catch Cropsey, one of the counselors is able to apprehend him long enough to cause some injury to him, which then enables the cops to be able to get him and either encircle him with fire or riddle him with bullets or whatever way that they in the story end up attempting to kill Cropsey. And when the smoke clears, his body's not there. So they're still unable to catch him. And it kind of tells the campers that, you know, what you think may be the way that you're protected in the city is not the way that you're protected out in the woods. And the police are no match for the Cropsey maniac in the woods. And you better better watch your butt because... You don't know what's going on out here. 
which, you know, helps them be a little more cautious and not just running around willy-nilly, stepping on rattlesnakes and falling off a cliff. Croftsy always survives or at least gets away from whatever attack that is inflicted on him and whatever mortal wound that he is inflicted with. His body is never found. It's really important to the story for his fate to be uncertain because it leaves the story open-ended and there's no timestamp on that story. You can you can carry it to an indeterminate future. You can tie any sort of noise or unexpected event to Cropsy. You know, you can, if you hear a twig break while you're telling the story, it can be Cropsy. Or, you know, you can you can scare these kids silly. So that really gives Cropsy kind of life beyond just the legend that can be applied to their surroundings and get them something that they actually end up even taking home with them, for better or worse. Whether that's good or bad, I'm not sure. So that's the basic story of Cropsy. And in 1981, there was a slasher movie made called The Burning. It was made by Harvey and Bob Weinstein, who I think we all know have been disgraced and are now bankrupt, I think filing for bankruptcy and blacklisted. Though I have to say that Wind River was a really amazing movie and... You should all go see it as a side note. Even though it's a Weinstein movie, oh man, it's good. Anyway, uh, I'm sorry, that's totally irrelevant to the situation. Well, sort of. So back in 1981, uh, Harvey Weinstein was just a secret creep in the bad way, creeping on people, and it wasn't so openly known and obviously not to excuse his behavior, but I'm going to talk about this movie for a second. So... They are native New Yorkers, and they based this movie, The Burning, off of the legend of the Cropsy Maniac. It takes place at Camp Blackfoot, and it features a campground caretaker called Cropsy. So Cropsy is one day horribly burned by some campers playing a really cool practical joke that gets out of control and burns Cropsy's face and body terribly. So what a funny practical joke. He vanishes and then later returns to take revenge on the campers that did this to him. So the Cropsy in the burning, he targets promiscuous teens who leave the camp to go get it on in the forest as his victims which I'm like really Harvey Weinstein did you have to be such a creep all the time like just couldn't get away from it because in no other variation of the Cropsy Maniac is there any sort of promiscuous teens get snatched in the woods thing so that old bloated creep had to add that in of course but anyway so there was also another movie that was being made essentially at the same time in 1982 it was going to be released so it was like a few months after the burning was released and they were doing the exact same thing so they were making the exact same movie about Cropsy the story was basically the same and they ended up having to at the last minute change the premise and the the main antagonist this movie that was also going to be a Cropsy movie was called Madman and they had to change it at the last minute to be a murderer Madman Mars who was accidentally summoned to camp by some campers doing like a seance around a fire so yeah obviously there was some conflict there and so yeah they had to change it at the last minute in 2009 there was a documentary called cropsy that was released that tried to kind of tie the urban legend into some real life events that took place in the 80s and it was made by a couple of new yorkers who had grown up hearing the cropsy story and in that version it was really localized to where they grew up which was staten island where the cropsy maniac was an escaped mental patient who escaped the willowbrook state mental institution and resided in the tunnels under the hospital and so that cropsy would come out 
out and snatched children who were disobedient or had, you know, gone out when they shouldn't have or skipped school or something like that. And he would snatch those kids and kill them. But what ended up happening in 1980 was that some actual children in Staten Island ended up being kidnapped and they couldn't find them. And the community had kind of was able to band together and unite against this this enemy that they nicknamed Cropsy because like I had mentioned earlier, these adults had then been hearing the story for 20 years, started when they were children, told at summer camp or school about Cropsy. And so then the community just nicknamed this actual real life kidnapper Cropsy. And they actually used it like as a way to kind of band t- together and unite, which is cool. I'm, I'm up for that whenever that can happen. And, you know, in this case, the police weren't really able to stop the kidnappings because they couldn't find the person who was doing it. And it ended up being that that the community itself was more effective when they were able to band together and had strength in numbers against this threat. I didn't want to make this urban legend episode really be about the man who may or may not be the one who committed these kidnappings and murders. I know that five children were kidnapped. Only a few of their bodies were actually found and they ended up pinning it on a man who worked at the Willowbrook State Mental Institution and had some connections to multiple victims in different ways. Like his aunt had lived in an apartment complex with one. He had just, he had been seen with a few of the people who had gone missing and he is now in prison for life. But I've seen some disputes about whether not he was actually guilty or if they could prove that he actually committed some of these crimes either way about it he was convicted and is in prison so this story was really um very localized to that staten island area and you know they call him the real life cropsy and if you look up anything about this topic online you're gonna find a lot of stuff about that man calling him the real life cropsy and things of that nature but really that's actually separate from the cropsy urban legend that's just someone who was nicknamed the cropsy so the community of that area could really band together against this terrible person. So Cropsy, like like I mentioned, was really localized just wherever you heard the story. So there, there were New York summer camps like Crystal Lake Camp, Camp Lakota. There was Beaverkill State Park, Brooklyn Ethical Culture School, Harcum Junior College in Pennsylvania. It bans a a wide area this story it really does and I'm sure there are places all over the country where there's a a Cropsy like story so some of the variations of the Cropsy story aside from the location are the jobs that Cropsy had so in some he's a farmer or he's a civil minded judge a retired businessman he's a guard at a camp or like the head of the security police always a position where he's respected until the tragedy. The deaths of his family are always accidental. There's one where his only child drowns while boating with a camper. And another variation, his daughter, who is his only family, drowns during a cookout with some campers. And another, his daughter is out walking at school on her lunch break, and she's frightened by some boys making a fire, so she runs away, falls, is knocked unconscious, and is burned in the fire as it spreads. There's another story where one of his three sons falls down the side of a hill and accidentally is killed by a skull fracture. A younger child is killed when campers at a rifle range, one of their guns misfires. There are a lot of out-of-control fires, that is for sure. A lot of the variations are a fire rages out of control, reaches the house where Cropsy's wife and daughter are residing and burns them alive. Or there's a car accident. So Cropsy, in every 
variation, he always reacts pathologically to this tragedy. So he freaks out, turns white, runs from the area, screaming he's going to get revenge, or he goes to pieces and turns really pale and runs away. He beats somebody to death or hacks somebody to death and, and runs into the wilderness he goes yelling and screaming and and screams like he's going to take revenge on the Boy Scouts. Or he stops speaking altogether, stares off in a kind of a trance-like state for hours and then disappears. And always just has, has in some way or another has ended up going stark raving mad. And now his only goal in life is to seek and take revenge on his enemies who had caused this great tragedy to befall him. And it's at this point when he begins his bloody revenge. So he is either hacking Boy Scouts to bits with a hatchet or he he stabs girls in the woods. There's a lot of stabbing, a lot of uh, writing his name in blood on their skin or burning his name on their body. In one kind of funny variation, he leaves like a little business card with his name on it beside the body. In another, he's like laughing hysterically while he's stabbing a girl. All fairly frightening visuals that I would say are pretty effective at summer camp and scaring the poop out of some of those kids and sending them pooping all over the place. <laughs> that was just a little inside joke for all you John Bonet fans. Anyway, yeah, so definitely going to scare some kids into acting, you know, kind of staying in line while they're here away at camp for a few weeks. So, you know, the authorities attempt to catch him, counselors attempt to catch him, but he like eludes them always. They never are effective in capturing him. And even after he's supposed to die, he ends up still haunting the location in whatever form, if it's alive, if it's immortal, if it's a ghost, whatever it is, he he is always present and there is always the real threat of him coming and snatching you up or chopping you to bits or setting fire to your camp you better act right you better not wander off alone you better not be irresponsible with your fire or with your guns you better watch where you're walking you know you better watch what you're doing when you're swimming if you're driving you better not be drunk or you better not be swerving around trying to be funny you better just act right or you're going to end up creating a cropsy and nobody wants that, so... And then there's always the kind of ominous, like, he was seen every every year on the anniversary of his wife's death. He's seen dragging his leg through the woods slowly, or every hour on the hour, every year on his wife's death, he screams from the woods in a maniacal way there's always some reoccurring thing that happens like perennially or is always a threat you know and there's some of them it's like don't go out alone or you're gonna get snatched so you better if you go out into the woods to collect firewood you better take your friend with you or crops he's gonna get you and chop you to bits and then you might poop yourself so there's always there's so there's always this local place where they can establish that Cropsy is haunting. And so wherever it's being told is where there's going to be some, either the woods or a barn or something like that, where Cropsy is going to be haunting forever. And you're always going to have to watch your P's and Q's, you know, stay in line or else Cropsy's going to come and he's crazy and he's going to get you and you might poop your pants. So in the final move of this tale of this Cropsy legend, Cropsy haunts the neighborhood, the campgrounds, the woods. The word ghost is never used because he's not a ghost. He just, he lives forever 
to hunt and take revenge. And when this was being told, they were always making sure that every little noise could be Cropsy out in the, in the forest, dragging his leg or breaking a twig when he's trying to walk. Or one one of the stories, they said that their counselor would go into the woods while someone was telling this and start laughing maniacally. Little ways to kind of get the story to give a little extra oomph at the end and, you know, scare the crap out of these kids. This story was really just used to help people, you know, form some sort of solid Solidarity to ensure that they conform to some accepted cultural norms like staying together, not leaving campgrounds. All the versions of the Croftsy story have the motif of a death of children as a punishment for disobedience or negligence, carelessness, whatever. They they could die. It was, you know, it was instilling the fear of death in their hearts, which how sweet. So this Croftsy story is really a vital piece of of modern folklore and if that wouldn't creep you out when you were out in the woods as a kid and I mean I heck I might be creeped out right now if someone told me that story while I was out in the woods I love backpacking love it uh, and I mean, I'm talking, you know, I want to I want to hike out miles and miles and miles away from where I park so that I just get as far away from civilization as possible. It is the most like liberating and exciting experience in the world. It is one of my absolute favorite things to do. But at the same time, there is always a moment whenever, you know, it starts to become nighttime and you're getting settled at camp and you're like, what in the hell did I just do? This is right. It's slightly terrifying because you're really out in the middle of nowhere and again it's like it's kind of like a, a just a culture shock of civilization and those kids would definitely be feeling that especially considering that they were like big time city kids you know living in the city uh going to the summer camps for a few weeks in the summer getting in the outdoors for the first time in maybe months maybe ever maybe you know in years and in these tales of cropsy were just used to help them Uh, not be careless, I suppose, and make any mistakes that could cost them or someone else their life. So it's just super interesting, in my opinion, to see it, how so many people, how they took the story and it ended up forming and like shaping the way they viewed the world and their perspective on the world and they're adults now and they still think about this Cropsy story because it was told to them at a time when they were really forming who they were as people and this story helped form who they were. So, but it's definitely super fascinating to see how folklore can affect our society, our lives, our behaviors, our thoughts without us even remotely realizing it. It's really interesting. So that is why I personally want to make this a every so often we're gonna do a urban legend episode where we just discuss some urban legend that is kind of a more broad topic than we typically do but like I said, it's so integral to how, to who we become as as adults that it's. I think it's definitely worth the time to like hear these different folklores from different regions of the country and different actually regions of the world and see how that has helped shape who we become. So a lot of these people who I found that were interviewed who had told this story and had been told this story as children were adults who still think about these stories and 
don't do certain things because of them. There was a lady who worked at the school where she had gone and had been told the Cropsy story. And there is a shed where they keep lawn equipment and things of that nature. And she said, oh, we wouldn't walk. I would never walk by that shed. when we Back then, we would never walk by that shed. I wouldn't walk by there even if I had my friends with me. And the writer asked, well, you'd walk by there now, wouldn't you? And she said, oh, heavens no. So you know, they really stick with us. In one of the other stories that from the Ethical Culture College, the, the woman says, now if anyone from Ethical Culture walks by Cropsy's plot alone, Cropsy will get them. The writer asks, then you would never walk past there alone. And she says, of course not. Not with my friends either. So, I mean, this is like, the, this is another adult who has grown up hearing these stories. They are still in the area in which this story is kind of located. And they continue to do certain things in their life based off of this legend. So, you know, I definitely um, am excited to do more more of these legends and see how the different areas of the world and the United States are affected by them. So I would love to hear anybody, if anybody has any urban legends that they are interested in hearing about, and we can incorporate them in the future. Every four or five episodes, we'll probably do an urban legend episode. And they sometimes, you know, this probably isn't going to be as long as our usual episodes, so it'll be a little bit shorter. But um, so that's it for today, guys. That's a, a short little, well, it was a more brief episode than usual. I probably didn't sound like I was about to blow a vein on this episode, but I think it's pretty, pretty creepy. And I got some really cool pictures to post. So I thank everybody for joining me today. Shy will be back next week on our next episode that is going to definitely be more true crime related. Again, I thank everybody so much for your reviews and the ratings that you give us on iTunes and reviews are super, super important. They help us reach new uh, listeners and every single person that takes the time out to do that, I really, really appreciate it. I can't tell everybody how much I appreciate all your support. I know that I love hearing your opinions and comments that you have about the the subjects that we cover on our episodes so if you want to reach out to us and either give us your opinion about something or tell us or tell us a topic that you would be interested in hearing about we have an email it is creep it real pod pod so creep it real pod at gmail.com and you can find us on instagram at creep it real pod again on facebook you can search for creep it real and we are on we have our facebook up you can listen to us. Well, wherever you're listening to us is probably a, a good start for you. But if you need more options, we're on iTunes. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're on Stitcher. We are on Podcast Addict and Google Play as well. And I think that's all for now. I'll, I'll take shy spots today and say creep it real out there, everybody. I'm going to end this with one of my favorite Cropsy stories that I found, and I will talk to you guys next week. Bye. George Cropsy was a judge. He had a wife and two children, all of whom he loved very much. He owned a small summer cottage along the shores of Maston Lake. His wife and children would go there for the summer months, and he would come up to visit with them on weekends. One night, two campers snuck away from the camp's scheduled evening activity and went down to the lake to roast some marshmallows. The fire they built went out of control, and there was a big fire on the lake. Cropsy's family was burnt to death. When Cropsy read the report in the newspaper, it is said he became completely white and disappeared from his home. Two weeks later, one of the campers from Lakota was found near the lake chopped to death with an axe. 
There was talk of closing the camp for the remainder of the summer, but they didn't. The camp owners insisted upon constant supervision of the campers. There were state troopers posted in the area, and each counselor slept with either a knife, an axe, or a rifle. One night at about three in the morning, one of the counselors was awakened by the screams of one of his campers. He put his flashlight in the direction of the screams and saw his camper bleeding to death, and standing over him, a man with chalk white hair, red bloodshot eyes, and swinging a long bloody axe. When the maniac saw the light, he ran from the bunk, but the counselor chopped at his leg with the hatchet he was armed with. The man got away but left a trail of blood into the woods. The state troopers were called and followed the trail into the woods. They called to Cropsey to surrender, but all they heard was crazed laughter. They determined his position, and when he would not give himself up, they built a circle of fire around him. When the fire had subsided, they searched the woods for his remains, but could find nothing. The police closed the file on George Cropsey, assuming him to be dead. It is said that on the evening of the anniversary of the death of Judge Cropsey's family, you can see the shadow of a man limping along the shores of Maston Lake. <laughs> 